our 360 News will provide unbiased and unfiltered coverage of events, issues, and policies that impact communities throughout Alabama. We aim to report on matters that resonate with overlooked and marginalized people in our cities and states by providing a platform to amplify our concerns and our voices. In addition, our website, social media channels, and new media endeavors are fact-checked thoroughly to serve our communities with integrity in the tradition of American journalism. Go to our360.news and sign up for our newsletter and also check out our360 news on Facebook. Like and share. Dr. Megan Venable Thomas serves as the Director of Community Development for the City of Birmingham, supporting a Birmingham where all communities thrive. Previously as a Senior Program Director at Enterprise Community Partners, she supported community development organizations across the country in integrating creative and community-centered processes for equitable outcomes in affordable housing. With her doctorate in public health from Harvard University and over 15 years of military service, her background and training is grounded in increasing health equity in the built environment creating strategies for community-based design, and advancing tools for healing justice. Megan holds a master's degree in public health management from Columbia University and a bachelor's degree from the, Uni from the United States Military Academy. Dr. MBT, <laughs> tell me a joke. Oh, a joke. Yes. Okay. All right. What did the right eye say to the left eye? I see you. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Between you and me, something smells. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> now I have one for you. Okay. Why did the black scientist... Study microbiology. Why did the black scientist study microbiology? I don't know. Why? She did it for the culture. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I, that, like that. I, I actually got that from Angela Abdul Rashid last night. So I thought I'd use it for our Black History Month joke. I like that. Doc, tell me what to call you. Megan is fine. Um, <laughs> some folks insist on using the doctor, so I say Dr. VT. Doc, um, well, I'm going to insist on Dr. VT. Okay. Dr. VT, there is a lot that is not on this um, well-defined bio. I want to know where you were born, mm -hmm. to whom you were born, 
Um, and I want to know how that little girl ended up at the United States Military Academy. Yes. Um, so I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. And I was born to Valerie Collins. Okay. And Emmett Venable. Okay. Um, and my parents actually were divorced when I was very young in Atlanta. Okay. Um, and we moved to Virginia and lived with my grandparents for a while. Okay. Um, which I think is really important to my um to my trajectory. My grandfather was in the military. He was also a Southern Baptist pastor. Okay. Um, and so um, I think, and my and so my grandmother was a first lady. Okay. And so I think they instilled a lot of values in me that were around, and and my and my grandfather was a big part of the civil rights movement in the work that he did um, in Atlanta and Virginia, and so. I think the values that they instilled in me were around the importance of service Um, and 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 why we must be a part of the impact that we hope to see and the change we want to make in the world. Yeah. Um, My my mother was remarried to my stepfather. Um, Stephen Thomas, who she is still married to today, um, who was also a military veteran. So at the time, he was still in the military. So we moved around for all of his different military um, duties. And then he got out to go to medical school, and we moved around for all of his different residencies and fellowships. And so I really grew up also in so many places, predominantly in the South, but so many places that were so different. And I think that created within my um, personality mm-hmm. an ability to adapt, an ability to identify people around me and the things that they need yeah. um, and be able to build relationships. And yeah. so I think at the center of all the things, um, service and relationships was is really important to, to how I uh, see the world and navigate it and um, and the way that I lead. So in while you were a little girl mm-hmm. before uh, high school um, and all of these values are being instilled in you, were you a tomboy? Were you a pretty girl? Were you, a, you know, what, <laughs> what kind of girl were you? <laughs> yeah, no, I was definitely, um, I was definitely out and about, you know, in yeah. the creeks and jumping climbing <laughs> trees and with the bikes and playing baseball and doing all the things um so I was definitely that kind of um, of child. I was always active. I was an athlete, so I was always okay. in all different kinds of activities. And that's actually how I came to the United States Military Academy was I was recruited to run track. So I ran track. Um, okay. And it's interesting because I think when I went to the Military Academy is when I really started to lean into the femininity um, because it was such a male dominated environment Yeah. Um, that I kind of leaned into that. And I became um, a member of Alpha Cap Alpha Sorority Incorporated. So I think I hold all the things, you know, I, um, my mom and my sisters will be very happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we can do it all. I, I can climb trees and, you know, do target practice and be in the, 
tents in the woods. Yeah. And I can put on my pearls and, um, <laughs> you know, in a cute dress and, um, you know, tea party with the best of them. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, my God brother's son. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know if you've heard the name Jay Roberson, a former city councilman. Mm-hmm. His son, Trey, is at the Air Force Academy. Okay. And we won't hold that against him. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all, not just his family, but the community, the church family, we're all so incredibly proud mm-hmm. of him. Mm-hmm. Do you know, I mean, do you feel as proud of yourself mm. for going to the academy as we are of you? Because I'm, I just met you, but I'm so proud of that fact. <laughs> that's such I'm a seriously. beautiful thing to say. I really appreciate that. And actually, that's one of the reasons that I went to the academy was because I was not here for it. I, I will tell you, they, <laughs> they were recruiting me hard. And when my parents found out about it, they were like, Okay, yeah, we like yeah. this because this is free school. Like, yeah. yeah, girl, you better go. And I was like, okay, everybody calm down. <laughs> everybody um, calm everybody down. Calm, this simmer is the down, military. Simmer, simmer down. <laughs> and I went to the, I went for a visit actually. And it was in the wintertime. It was gray. It was cold. Everybody had on a uniform. I was like, oh, no, this is, it's not for me. It's yeah. not for me, guys. Yeah. It's fine, but it's not for me. Yeah. And I remember. Coming back and a woman, um, they did a presentation of what schools we were going to be, um, that we had gotten offers for. Mm-hmm. And I remember a black woman that I did not know saying to me, I am so proud of you. Do you understand how important it is what you're doing as a black person, as a black woman? And I think I had to like pause because I was like, no, actually, I don't think I understand. And, you know, I was 17. So, um, but I think I had, I was fortunate to have parents who were able to hold me accountable to what I did not yet know was an Mm -hmm. opportunity that was life changing. Mm -hmm. And so my mom even sat me down and was like, okay, so, you know, there's people who have wanted to go to this school their whole entire lives. Right. And you have an opportunity to go and you don't want to because you don't like the uniform. And I was like, (laughs) well, when you say it like that, you know, (laughs) Um, but I think when I reflected on, what I wanted out of a college experience and what kind of trajectory I wanted college to put me on, it was one where I could be financially stable and viable and independent. Mm-hmm. It was um, one that could give me the skills, leadership skills that would allow me to have an impact in my community mm-hmm. and for people, particularly black people um, in this country. And I wanted my family and community to be proud of me. And honestly, those were the three reasons why I was like, okay, at least let me try this out yeah. and see what it's all about before yeah. I say it's not for me. Yeah. Um, and so I really appreciate you saying that because I think that's – I've always been that kind of child where my mom didn't have to – you know, I didn't get a lot of whoopings because she would look at me a certain way and I would be like, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. I'm driven by um, 
you know, a, a, a responsibility or a drive to do the right thing. Yeah. And um, so I think that has really carried me. And I appreciate that because I think I do the work that I do now because I think I believe that I can make an impact in this world and that God has given me a purpose yeah. and that I need to find that. It's my responsibility to find that and to just be a good steward of the gifts and skills and talents that he has given me. Um, and when you are able to do that, then um, people can be proud of you. And ultimately, I just want people to be proud of, of, the, of the life that I've lived and been afforded with here and what I've done with it. That's awesome. Now, <laughs> transition from, let me say, say it this way. What happened between graduation and your first day in, in Birmingham? Ooh, okay. <laughs> like some what years. Yeah, what prepared years. you? You know, what what are the things that prepared you for what you're doing right now? Yeah, you know, um so people often ask like what is the biggest what do you think's the biggest impact or importance of the United States Military Academy or West Point? And I think one of the things that was really beneficial to me was confidence. Mm. And um, I think you can get that in a. I was actually having this conversation with my mom the other day because I was talking about, you know, what kinds of college experiences give youth confidence to show up in the world, right? To be prepared from your home or wherever you grew up to be out in the world doing things on your own. And I think, you know, HBCUs, like I always think about like, man, what would my life have been if I would have gone to a HBCU? Mm -hmm. And what a beautiful experience there is in HBCUs to give bl particularly black folks and black youth the type of confidence to be prepared for, right, like, the world right. of America. Right. That's right. <laughs> and to The to, language is different. That's, that's you right. You know what I'm saying? The the um I went to the University of Alabama and parted my ass off. <laughs> um eventually left school, but I I I used COVID to go back and get my degree. Okay. Um and just being there and hearing the way that the instructors mm -hmm. interacted with the students reminded me of my first go-round at Miles. Mm -hmm. And there is always this, you know, you got to be a little better. Mm -hmm. This is how you do this. Those things that maybe white, predominantly white families sending their kids off to college mm -hmm. A lot of times it's our first time at college, and our instructors right. and our uh, HBCUs know that, that there's probably a kid in front of them, mm -hmm. never been to college, has no idea what's in front of them, right. and the communication is absolutely different. Right, and I think the education is, too, when I think now of, like, all the books that felt foundational and authors that felt foundational oh, to yeah. me yeah. knowing who I am and what work I wanted to do right. around justice and equity and um, all the things, 
really weren't taught to me. I sought right. those out, right? Yeah, like, or yeah. I was introduced or influenced in some way that was not in my traditional educational system. And so when I talk about confidence, it's a different kind of confidence you get at West Point, but it was still really important confidence that allowed me to be like, you know what? I can do a lot of stuff that yeah. I thought I couldn't do. Yeah, yeah. Um, like physically, I did not think I could do this 12, you know, mile road march with this 60 pound, you know, book bag on my back surrounded by all men for the most part. Um, and I wanted to quit, right? (laughs) All the things, right. And I wanted to, I wanted to quit, but I didn't. And I learned that I didn't have to like, that's the confidence, right. Is like when you feel like you can't do something and then you learn that you can. And I think that's an important skill that was instilled in me that a lot of youth don't get um right at that time and that really carried me into the army um but also to just be willing to step out on faith around a lot of decisions that I've made and that 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 my path would be guided and so in the military I was able to experience um I deployed to Jordan um Kuwait Iraq um and I think Oh, you got the good places. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> real, real snazzy um, places. Um, but I think those those experiences were so dramatically different than my life, my normal day-to-day life. Right. And yet, people were still experiencing things so similar and so tragic and traumatic. Um, and it was so much about environment and access. And I realized that... In my community, it was about the same things, right? Mm-hmm. Especially for black and brown folks around environment and access. And that there was something that I recognized then that just was unjust about that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to understand why. And then I began my kind of public health journey because I knew what was at the center of what allows us to thrive mm-hmm. and ultimately what impacts our community so disproportionately were health outcomes, mm-hmm. diabetes, heart disease, you know, all the different um, kind of health challenges that we experience and really being like, why is that? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense. The math mm-hmm. is not mathing. Right. Um, and so I wanted to understand that. And that's where my public health career kind of began. And the more and more I studied disparities in health, the more and more I came to the built environment for gotcha. answers, neighborhoods, communities, right? Um, and what we know is that um, 80% of our health outcomes are determined by, not by our health visits or our hospitals, but by our environment and our behavior. Mm. Um, and when we really dig into it and we know the history and we read the policies and we really understand how all those things come together, we realize that at the heart of it is racism, injustice, oppression that has created the conditions for our environments to be unjust and inequitable. And um, I've just been in this space ever since trying to, to figure out how do we support people? How do we change policies and practices that create better health outcomes and lives for people that are most impacted by injustice? And um, in a in a city like Birmingham, where we're 76, 78 percent black, um, 
And in a state where we have some of our most challenging health outcomes, it's one of the places that it feels the most important that we're able to figure these things out where we have the, but also where we have the most opportunity to do it the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we're seeing cities, other larger cities with lots more resources and lots more people um, doing it in ways that have not necessarily been supporting those that have been most impacted. Um, and so like, how can we learn from those and how can we build opportunities to do something different? When, when the mayor um, approached you and, and told you about this opportunity here in, in Birmingham, and as you um, as you just said that, I'm like, yep, check, Birmingham <laughs> provides mm-hmm. the opportunities. We have the disparities, check, check. I was just going down the list. Um, the opportunity is obvious, mm-hmm. but what have your challenges been Especially as I think about when you talk about policy, as I think about laws, our lack of home rule, you -hmm. know, um, Mm -hmm. how is Birmingham or Alabama being a challenge to what you're trying to do right now? Yeah, I mean, I think innovation everywhere is challenging because Mm -hmm. change is not something that folks are always excited about. Right. Um, and, and, and we understand why, because we're impacting people's lives, mm-hmm. right? And so it's important to understand the risk um, of new opportunities as well as the benefit and impact that it can have. And I think, um, you know, I, I'm working in the policy realm, the political realm. Now, there's policy and there's politics. Very um, different things. And, yeah. you know, I'm new to politics and I'm new to um, politics in Alabama and sure. in Birmingham. And so, uh, again, going back to relationships, it mm-hmm. much of it is about relationships and being able to find the places where you and someone that is so divergent from your belief system and value system can find a place where you meet. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like the art of politics. Um, And it takes time. Um, Adrienne Marie Brown wrote a book called Emergent Strategy that talks about uh, building at the speed of trust, that we can only go so quickly as our relationships, essentially. Our trust is... And so um, I think part of what's challenging is that relationships and trust building is essential to this work, and that takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. time time is not what um, gets developments done. And yeah, gets, and, you know, and citizens and, don't dig and time. And citizens don't <laughs> want that. They like, listen, yeah. it's taking long enough. And you understand why, yeah. right? Like there are a lot of people who have been impacted. Um, we have a lot of passionate people, mm. um, and that's amazing, that are involved and engaged in this work, which is what we need. And, um, you know, this work takes time and we have to be patient around how we're how we're working through that relationship building and that shifting of culture. Um, and, you know, some things are, are you know, I'm, I'm making it sound really beautiful <laughs> or trying to. Or trying to. <laughs> and like, you know, that 
we see it, politics on all levels is very challenging and we're in a time where it feels quite divisive. And so figuring out how do we find that, I think also takes a bit of empathy um, and recognizing mutual interdependence and humanity mm. um, that we can we are interested in having conversations to find a solution. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times we aren't entering our conversations with openness to hear another person's per, per, uh, perspective and find solution, but we're there to talk about what our own point of view is. And so, yeah, we, um, we, we listen to respond. That's right. Instead of listening <laughs> to comprehend. So those things are challenging for sure. Yeah. Um, I like to ask in, you know, in this way, when I have a professional, um, what do you know, as a citizen listening right now that isn't very familiar with exactly what the community development office, mm-hmm. what, how does that impact me? What does that have to do with me? What is your job? Your impo- what has it got to do with me? And then tell us about the program that we're trying to shed a light on to let people know, hey, the office is thinking about you. Yeah, so our role um, in the Department of Community Development is really to think about housing and in particular, I think within that is also homelessness. Um, So people who are unhoused, um, but how housing is an opportunity for every, every resident of Birmingham. And so we steward federal funds from HUD um, to support how we develop and provide housing across the city. Mm -hmm. Um, And so why that's important to all citizens is that we all need a place that we can live and we all deserve a place that we can call home because we understand the importance that is to our not only our ability to survive, mm-hmm. but our ability to thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we provide a number of services. So things like the emergency rental assistance program that's within our department where you can come if um, to get rental assistance, utilities assistance. We've received funding from the federal government to support that. We have that program that's ongoing. We also have programs, um, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a moment, is our critical repair program. So thinking for homeowners who have repairs um, in their home that they need, how can they get the support that they need to fix those things that really are essential to your home being able to be sustainable, not only as a a home on your block, but Mm -hmm. for you to live in. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, we also support developers in producing housing. Mm -hmm. Um, So we think about how we build new development. For example, we're building 53 new, 52 new homes in Shadowbrook and Pratt City. Right. Um, we're also building homes in Oak Hill, uh, in Bellevue Heights, uh, in Woodlawn. And we're thinking about a lot of other development opportunities um, as well across our city. We also recently, recently launched our Home for All program, which is our micro shelter program to support um, our residents experiencing homelessness to get on a pathway to prepare for more sustainable, permanent, permanent, permanent supportive housing. Mm-hmm. Um, we also support many of our public service providers out there who work across the spaces that touch housing, whether they do um repairs to homes or they support homelessness prevention or they um, 
help to develop housing out there. We support folks across the spectrum doing that work and building that expertise in our community to be able to provide those services out to our residents. Um, those are just a number. Uh, on top of that, we're doing down payment assistance to prepare folks to get ready to um, own homes if they are interested in that, up to $10,000 of down payment assistance. Um, we're also, we also help small businesses. So we do a small business loan. We do a facade improvement loan or facade improvement grant that um, does improvements to the outside of your business. Mm-hmm. Um we also recently launched a lead abatement program. So to for families who have or might have lead in their homes, you're able to get that abated uh, through our program because we understand wow. that that impacts your health, the That's health right. of your home and of your children. Uh, so there's a bunch of programs that we host. You can go to our website, which is birminghamal.gov backslash community dash development and you can see many of the different programs um, and services that we provide on our site one of the things that i was thinking about as you were speaking uh, i had um, dr mia cowan and her husband joseph brown on last night and um you know one of the things that i want to start talking about a lot is health mm-hmm. and we talked about how um, you have your physical health and mental health. And it's interesting that not only the things that you're talking about addressing, they don't just address a person's physical, mm-hmm. but they think better when you're, when you're not home insecure. Um, that, that turns into a better worker. That turn, which in, uh, it turns into a better citizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, I'm just saying that these are the things that make the individual better Absolutely. so that that individual can be a better member of society as a whole. Absolutely. And I would even add, you know, to physical and mental health, emotional, right, and spiritual sure. health and how that those are also impacted when you are in situations where your housing is insecure, right. it's really hard to think about work, to think about how you support someone else, to think about um, you know how you get healthy, right? Mm-hmm. How do you recover from addiction? How do you get the services you need um, for your mental health when you don't have some place to sleep? Or you don't have some place to sleep that is supportive. Or you have a place you sleep that is dangerous, Mm. right? Like Mm. even people who are in housing, but it is not... it's not healthy and supportive. You're in a situation where there's abuse or there, you know, to the physical of the house too. If there's holes in the ceiling and your 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 roof is leaking, right. there's mold in your home, right? There's so many ways that your home impacts your health from every aspect of your well being, and that's why we believe that it's such a critical component of how people are able to be well and to thrive. Um, because ultimately we know how detrimental it is when it is not what it should be. So talk about the the program that um, 
can help people improve their homes? Yes. So we're really excited to be relaunching our critical repair program. Um, We have $4 million in this program um, to support up to 250 homes. This is the first time we'll be doing this amount of homes in one year. I think we had about 235 homes that we were supporting over the past two to three years. And so this is a big scale up for this program that we're really excited about. Um, On February 17th, we'll be doing a um, kind of a fair to help people to walk them through their application process if they're Mm -hmm. interested in uh, applying for this critical repair program. Um, And that's on February 17th at the Fountain Heights Recreation Center from 9.30 a.m. to 2 p.m., and the program allows for up to $30,000 of repair in your home that can be plumbing, roofing, HVAC, electrical, um, things that are really critical right. to you being able to have a home that can keep you healthy and that can be sustainable. Uh, and so there are requirements um, for income uh, in order to be able to apply for this program. But you okay. can find all that information on our website, the same place, birminghamal.gov backslash community dash development. Um, and the application will open on February 17th. It will close on February 20th. We have a small window because we know we have a large amount of folks that we want to be able to serve. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's going to be first come, first serve so that we can make it as fair as possible to allow as many applicants as we can get um, within that kind of bucket. Mm -hmm. Um, But on top of that, we are working with other folks in our community to do other critical repair programs like Protecting Good, um, like there are organizations like Metro Changers um, who are out there, House Proud, um, that are doing these types of repairs as well. And so we're also going to be able to support this type of critical repair with some of our other homeowners as well. Um, So we're excited to be able to do that. And that's for this year. So we're looking for next year to be able to open it again, to be able to do something similar or maybe even more. Um, But for this year, we're excited to be able to re-release this, to be able to support at least 250 of our neighbors in our community with critical repairs to their home. I think that's awesome. And $30,000 goes a long way. It does. It does. And we've increased it. So it was $15,000. And we did a fair um, back in the summer to really hear from our contractors. So we, we brought contractors in the room to say, hey, what makes this program feasible? How do we make this work? How do we address the increase in prices and the increase in materials? Um, and from that, we decided to increase the pool to th- uh, the the um, the price point to th- 30000 so that we could really address, really address the needs that folks were seeing and that our experts were seeing as things that folks needed in their homes. And if I remember correctly, people can get the flyers at the at the libraries. Yes, so all the libraries have the flyers with the information on them as well as the applications so that you can take a look and get your information ready. But if you need to come to the Fountain Heights Rec Center, we will have staff that will be there to be able to answer your questions, but also to be able to take your applications. You can also submit your application on February 17th through the 20th on our website. So okay. so you don't have to come to Fountain Heights uh, Rec Center, but that is a resource that's available for you if you need it. Okay, so the website, the libraries, Mm -hmm. and Fountain Heights on the 17th. Yes. 
Outstanding. Anything else you need to leave with us? Um, we can give you our number, too. Please. So if you have any questions um, that you can't get answered, our number is 205-254-2309. One more time. 205-254-2309. Outstanding. Um I want to, how long have you been in Birmingham now? Um, About 10 months. I moved here in March. Okay. Um, so I have not been here a year yet. But the other thing is I my my mother and my stepfather and my brother are here. So okay. it was a beautiful transition for me. It's the first time I've been near them since I left the house to go um, to West Point and to the Army. And so oh, it's been lovely awesome. to to be close to them. And um, my mom can walk to my house. <laughs> and she does. Uh, she'd be like, I'm outside. What you doing? I'd be like, come on. Come on. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I think um, uh, welcome to Birmingham is still in order. Thank you. And um, thank you so much for your service. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by Our 360 News.